Slot Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which might be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey. Each broadcast, I will be talking with mentors who are who may provide that roadmap for your journey. These coaches have paved the pathway for many players and coaches. Most have authored books and papers on tennis and life, and they continue to give back today. Who are these mentors you might hear on our Thursday's broadcast? Most often it might be either Alan Fox, Chuck Reese, Dr. Bryce Young, Coach Ashley Hobson, Energy Coach Linda LeClaire. And during the last four years, we've been blessed to have other coaches like Ed Crass and Nick Saviano and Johnny Angel, Scott Williams, and many other coaches and uh, college coaches and high school coaches. You have also heard discussions with many others like FACA Executive Director Sheldon Cruz, Florida Tennis Magazine founder and editor Jim Marks, PTR and USPTA Executive Directors Dan Santorum and John Embry, or any of the dozens of other college coaches, USTA officials, or industry leaders who have blessed us on our broadcast during the last four-plus years. And because I do believe Dr. King's statement, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, I will add my personal views on tennis and life, and naturally you will hear my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through our high schools and colleges. Of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio is you can listen anytime you choose to coach Denise Sharon Tennis Blessings or the yellow, other Yellow Ball Network broadcasts like Chuck Reese's American Tennis anytime you choose. I listen to his broadcast every time he's on, and uh, truthfully, seldom do I listen to it uh, at the time he's doing it, just because I'm involved in other activities. I would like to thank the Yellow Ball CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting our network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, you are missing out on some useful information. Besides our weekly conversation, the almighty willing, you will be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I had previously stated, if you disagree with my views or want to add something, Email me at coachdenise.fhstca.att.net. Who knows? You may hear your views on future Coach Denise Exploring Tennis Blessings or read them in Florida Tennis Magazine. And, of course, in between issues, Jim Marks, the photographers, uh, other writers, and I uh, try to keep you current on our Facebook site, which is at FL Tennis. So uh, I will go into my commentary before I bring our uh, mentor on uh, today. I do think he's uh, on. Let me just check and make sure I don't want to lose him. He's too important. <clears throat> Coach, are you there? Hi, John. Yeah, I'm sure Hi, I am. Hi, Chuck. Sure I'm going to be with you in one minute, you. okay? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, these are my commentaries for today. It starts for high school tennis coaches. So uh, the rest of the country will have to put up with me uh, about Florida high school. Florida high schools are now in session and fall sports are in progress. And the official start of high school tennis is not until January 2020. But it is not too early for building the foundation of your team. You can do this without interfering with the school's athletes' participation in other sports. I suspect most athletic directors who believe that high school tennis is an after-school sport and not an after-school activity 
have decided on their tennis coaches by now and are making arrangements to have them attend the January FACA training. If not, and you are one of those individuals being offered the position, I would find out if the athletic director has budgeted funds for that weekend's training. If not, I suggest you not accept the assignment unless you are content with being an after-school monitor rather than a coach. Those of you listening to my coach Denise exploring tennis blessings or reading the articles in Florida Tennis Magazine know my beliefs that coaching a team and coaching an athlete are two different skills. That's why the FHS-TCA partnered with Human Kinetics and developed FHS-TCA Tennis Team Coaching Certification. And in my opinion, more challenging coaching teams it is than coaching one tennis person or being a tennis professional. Further, in my opinion, coaching an individual and coaching a team means knowing the individual or group and learning who they are and what character traits they possess. Soon after I started coaching Florida high school tennis, I realized that coaching our team was more challenging since we were a melting pot of countries. With our athletic director's permission, I acquired a room from the school and developed a process I think you might consider. And that is on the first Wednesday in September, October, and November, we conducted player parents meeting at 6 p.m., yes, at night, so we can get to know and love each other and what we should expect from each other. The first couple years, we also had December meetings for those who had missed the meeting and still wanted to be part of the team. But soon the student body parents understood that the same character traits that influence good study, tennis training, and practice are the same needed to be part of a team, allowing us to discontinue the December meeting and have the players sign their contracts at the end of our November meeting. For those who are not familiar with my player-parents meeting, I will list a few of the items that we discussed at that time. And those would be things like, do you need to be a starter to be a good teammate? What is your expectations? Do all athletes make good teammates? Why do you want to be on our tennis team? And we got into the discussions of our future as the decisions we make now. And can they be a loyal teammate? Anyone interested in other information I use, I would be happy to send copies of it via email me at coachdenise.fhstcaatt.net. I'm not sure if sports will ever be the building blocks of our education system or if the USTA will treat high school tennis as a competitive sport rather than an after-school recreation activity, but I do believe coaching does not start uh, in January 2020. Under FAA rules, you may not be able to use a tennis racket and balls till then, but you can do what I did. No, I'm not saying you have to have your team members sign a contract. That's up to you. You do need to know who you are and how you want to help your players find what they are seeking. A coach should first be comfortable in his or her's own skin. But remember, the game of tennis is about time, and time is a factor when developing your team. It's your advantage. Well, that's my commentary, and uh, those of you have, who didn't read Monday, our uh, mentor today is the four-time Coach of the Year and author of six published books, uh, including uh, the bestseller and one I insisted that my associate coaches uh, use, and that is Coaching Tennis. And now he's, uh, I think he's brought a big part of that to uh, the Citadel.
college tennis program. And, of course, I am uh, talking about um, the ACA, ACC winning this coach, Coach Chuck Reese. Coach, I thank you for being on the broadcast. I know this is a busy time. You've been running crazy. I hope you're in just good health and you'll be able to relax a little now. Are you there, Coach, or did I lose you? I'm here, John. I uh, oh. actually had, had had the mute button on there because I have a lot of noise going on here, and I just wanted to make sure I didn't interrupt what you were doing there. So, But I hope I'm coming through loud and clear there to you. Yes, um, you are. Yeah, good, good. Uh, John, you know, you – in your commentary, you always bring up some good points. I'd, I'd like to make a few points about that before you, you get me started on what we need to talk about today. But it all falls in line. I, I, I'll tell you a quick story. A young lady came to me, uh, a young high school coach, about, oh gosh, a couple months ago and said, uh, Coach Creasy, I've got, I've got to coach high school tennis next year. And really, it'll be my first time. And you know, I just played a little bit of tennis, so but they gave me this assignment. And uh, so she came over, and I spent, you know, half a day with her and gave her some pointers and things, and I gave her one of my books, and, and we started going into it. But I said, listen now, this is the most important thing I could tell you. Here's, coaches make mistakes because they try to be somebody that they're not or – they give disclaimers about what they're not and what what also what they're not. In other words, they either bail out or they try to fake it. I said, here's what you do. I said, bring 100% of who you are and what you can bring to the table to this group of young people. You go forward with those things that you have. You, you have great organizational skills. But create a team here, a team environment. And I said, you're going to do just fine. I said, you know, because I said, do not make disclaimers about, and don't tell people, hey, this is, I haven't done this before or anything like that. No disclaimers. You're in this position. It doesn't matter whether you've been in this position or not before. You're in this position, so you make the best of it. But at the same time, you know, don't don't try to fake it with, with things that, that you're not comfortable with. Just build each day and try to go forward. And uh, so I related when I first started coaching college tennis. I, I really, I had a year and a year and a half as an assistant coach. Um, but when I was, <laughs> I got the job at, at Clemson when I was 25 years old. And talking about being scared out of my wits. I go, oh my golly, what have I got gotten into here? It's uh, and the point is, I just decided that I was going to do everything I could do to uh, be the best I could be every day. I wanted to be the best employee I could be for the university, and the best I could be for these young men every day, and then go forward. But one thing I did know is that every coach, every teacher has the ability to get their players in good shape and to expect a degree of excellence from them in the endeavors that they're taking on. And so that's all that I did. In the first year, I, I'm saying the tennis, probably I 20, 30% of the full package of tennis, but I got the players in good shape, in great shape. And I had them motivated. And we took it serious. And we, and we, we went after it. And little by little, you pick up more and more. And the bottom line on this, John, is that I think that so often, I think administrators over-regulate, under-stimulate. And, and, and what, what I mean by that, I, as you were reading through some of the things that you have down there in Florida, I'm reminded of um, a meeting we had up here in, for South Carolina a month or so ago with the high school coaches and the amount of regulations that are put on these coaches 
create an atmosphere where coaches say, well, what the heck is going on here? If they don't let me do this, if they put hog timey here, hog timey there, they're not letting me go to work. And when you do that to good people who want to do something, well, they just have, I hate to say, an excuse to fail or an excuse to bail out, but that often what happened, what's happened. And if the any of the administrators are listening to me today, we need to be stimulated, not over-regulated. And, and, and here's the point. Rules and regulations never keep a dishonest person from breaking rules. All that happens is you create a situation where the dishonest person gets to greater greater and greater levels of creativity in breaking the rules. Bad people are going to be bad people. And the people who are going to break rules, you cannot overrate. You, you will try to overregulate. And what happens, you just increase their level of creativity at breaking rules. However, what you do to good people is you under-stimulate them. You, you, put, you, you never, ever, ever should put a... A, a governor on the engine of a good and creative person. Some of the rules, and we have the same thing going on in college with the uh, the dumb down of uh, oh, it's just horrible. The dumb down of college tennis is just ridiculous. We're we uh, we used to be the primary driver and the platform that every American kid took if they wanted to go forward and to play in the professional ranks or have a professional tennis teaching career or anything else. And in every other sport, if you look at baseball, if you look at basketball, if you look at football, if you look at any of the other sports, there's the college sport is the platform that allows players to take that next step if they want to go into the professional ranks. However, in tennis, not so. They've dumbed it down so much with the overregulation and understimulation that it is very, very, very difficult to attend four years of college now and really go out and have a professional tennis career. And I've got the statistics to back it up. In 1986, we had 41 young men and women from the United States, born in the United States, who went to college, who were made top 100 in the world. I think today we only have three. We have a John Isner. We have a Stevie Johnson. Actually, we have a Tennis Sangren. I think we have one young lady, maybe Nicole Gibbs, perhaps. But it's it's just it's horrible. So what has happened is the overregulation and understimulation never ever works. So I, I, well, that was sort of my lead off here before I get into the topic I wanted to talk to uh, talk to everybody about. It, it follows along this line, but at coaches out there talking to you. We are teachers first and coaches second, probably tennis people third. And with that, our our uh, mandate, our cause, our directive, What the reason we got into the teaching and coaching field was so that we could work with youngsters and lead them and push them and stimulate, help them become stimulated to pursue greatness and pursue excellence and we're as a lead into the topic today that I think you want me to talk about John we're not doing much of any of that in tennis but in a lot of other places too and I wanted to uh, um, talk about that and maybe give a few solutions before the program is over that that would be good I did tell the people that we were going to Talk about the uh, team tennis, you know, is it competition, is it rec- recreational? Uh, uh, but, yes, it's uh, your words of wisdom where you stated already. I think if uh, we got cut off the air for those listening, uh, uh, great commentaries. But you take over and do what you want to do now. Okay, well, you mentioned – Team tennis, um, and, and I wanted to make this point before we start. We have a, a simple, simple thing we could do so that 
we could start uh, going along the right path of um, making high school tennis and hopefully one day college tennis a uh, growth sport where youngsters want to play, can't wait to be on the team, and they're stimulated by it. But the team format in itself is a good participation model. Uh, I hate to say it's a rec model. That's dumbing it down too much. It's a participation model um, where when you're getting youngsters started playing, they get into the sport in in a team environment. There's so many assets that I just – there's so many strong points and things that I just just love. I I, – wanting to be a high school basketball coach my whole life and being in a lot of other team sports, um, I, I really understand the need for a team environment. However, team matches, dual match tennis does not help the players develop very well. And the reason why is because they always play against someone that is their own level. And when you play against somebody your own level all the time, you pretty much stay that level. And uh, there's an old formula, one-third, 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 when you schedule one-third below, one-third even, and one-third above. I schedule four levels. I size up my matches as can't wins, could wins, should wins, and we're going to win. So there's sort of four levels But as as a coach, you want to have all four of those. Now, in a tournament competition, when you're playing in a tournament, let's say you're playing in a 32-draw, usually the first couple rounds, or if it's a 64-draw, the first couple rounds, usually those are going-to-wins or should-win type of matches. Then when you get to uh, about the third round, the middle rounds, the round of 16 and the round of eight are usually, you know, could wins and should wins, but those are sort of <clears throat> matches that are your level. And then usually if the tournament is the right level, you compete in the semis and finals, you're moving up. Those are against players that you uh, really have to play your very, very best. They're above you. So, in, in one weekend, a player could make a huge, huge jump. I mean, the jump that, that Coco Goff girl made at Wimbledon was quite noticeable. She, in one weekend, went through the qualifying, and then she made her three or three matches in the main draw, and all of a sudden she's on a world stage, and she's made a huge, huge jump. Her jump was geometric. Now, we've seen that often with an Andy Roddick. When he made his breakout, oh, John Isner at the City Open back uh, one year. We saw it with John McEnroe at Wimbledon in 1977, Boris Becker at Wimbledon. We saw, and, and it often happens in one weekend, a player, remember Melanie Udan, her run at the U.S. Open that year in one weekend, you can make geometric growth. However, when you lose in, when you win in, dual match tennis you only make arithmetic growth you just make one match okay you won against the number three player you won against the number one player it's sort of okay and often uh, you'll ask a player what's your record and he'll say well I'm seven and three and you'll say well who beat you instead of you know what seven and three in tournament tennis means you made the probably you made the semifinals and the quarterfinals two weeks in a row and you're on your way. And, and, but in dual match tennis, you just seven and three. So the point is, is this in dual match tennis, you make arithmetic growth, but you'll fall geometrically. You'll fall exponentially. If you're the last person out there and you cause your team to lose, <laughs> often we'll lose a player for two to three weeks. They go on uh, through a great bout of, tennis depression where they don't want to play anymore and things you have to get them right back on the horse in tournament tennis players might bop along and lose first round lose first round lose first round then they'll pop up and win a tournament uh the kent Kinnear, who's in charge of uh, usta men's tennis right now he played at clemson and he came up from a number 14 spot to being a number two 
two-time All-American. Well, he went out on a pro tour in doubles. He said he had lost about four first rounds in a row. And then he and the young man from who went to UCLA, dang it, Brad, 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 Brad. Come on, what's Brad's last name? Well, he and uh, Brad, I uh, forget, they were in Hong Kong, I believe. And at the last minute, they signed up uh, for the <laughs> signed up for the tournament, and they they popped up and they won the tournament, and they beat Stefan Edberg and Pat Cash in the finals. And I'm going, okay, did you just get that good in four-day time? Or, no, that's tournament tennis. Tournament tennis accelerates your growth, and you'd grow geometrically or exponentially, and you only fall arithmetically. And and it's the reverse. So I wanted to make the point that coaches should probably take into consideration the high school system that Texas has. Texas has the best of both worlds. And they and most of their top players play high school tennis. They don't sit out because it's not it's 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 a very vibrant and um, very very competitive environment. Uh, so they play team tennis in the fall, and they pretty much knock it out in about a six week period or so, and they're done by first of November, and. Uh, good going. If you want to play in a men's team, a women's team, both of them are done in the fall. Then guess what? Come after January 1st or February 1st, they have individual tennis. So they're, they play every other weekend. I think they'll play a very good tournament. They'll play six or five or six or seven very good tournaments where they'll play men's single, women's single, or boys singles, girls singles, doubles, and mixed doubles. They have five different events. And the players play on these events. And guess what? A player can choose to play both of them or one of them or neither of them. So say I have a daughter. My daughter knows how to play high school tennis, but she runs cross country, you know, in the, in the fall. So she can't play high school girls tennis. So guess what? She would be able to play, run cross country in the fall and then play individual tennis in the spring. So I bring this out because I think we're just not, my point is we're just not using our head and trying. We're so wrapped up in regulating things and under stimulating things that there's just a lot of solutions that we could have if we wanted a developmental process. But my program today you asked me to speak on is, is, is tennis really a vibrant sport or is it a recreational activity? And you often have brought that up. And, and sadly to say, John, I've been doing some research on things, and we're creating, whether it's just tennis or not, but we're creating a lot of rec activities for one reason or another, and the intensity of the sports has really dropped off a lot. So unless you want to interrupt me, I, I would like to – Go on and tell a couple stories here, John. I don't want to just uh, keep on if you no, have any no. questions on. Okay. Not at all, Chuck. Well, Go ahead. Go on. All right. Well, let me tell you a couple quick stories here, real quick. Uh, well, first of all, what's spurred me to talk about this once again, uh, the backdraw at Kalamazoo. I went up to Kalamazoo recruiting this last. Uh, that's been a week and a half ago already, but it's absolutely, absolutely a terrible thing to see player after player dropping out of the back draw at Kalamazoo and defaulting. Uh, a couple of years ago, I counted, we had 53 players pull out. I saw the other day on a posting that one of the coaches made that only five of the eight quarterfinalists uh, the backdraw showed up to play. In other words, they pull out and they cite mysterious or phantom injuries and things. And I, I just, uh, I, it's, it's, it's awful that they do this. It's just a complete disrespect for the sport. It's a disrespect for the tournament. And it tells me as a coach that players are more, in, they're not interested in mastery of their sport. They're interested more in just trying to gather and accumulate points, whether they're UTR points or AT or 
or uh, USTA points or whatever, they're not honoring the sport. And I don't want to get sidetracked here, but the great Tim Wilkerson, I always quote him in saying that young people play for two reasons, two reasons only, rivalries and tournaments of heritage. They do not play for for points. And we as adults and our parents and our administrators, we're pretty cute in our little computers how we add up points and say so-and-so did this and -and so-and-so did this. And we don't have to go through the painstaking agony that it used to be to find out who really had the most head-to-head wins one over another. So the players have been forced to chase points. And once again, this is a bad, bad thing that the USTA has instigated in their attempt they had an honorable attempt to try to get players to play more, so they basically made it a points race. So players do not honor the sport and stay around and play play a backdraw match that they think could hurt them uh, if they lose. They do not stay at home and play as much as they, they, they travel all over the place to try to get these points. A lot of parents are really upset because of how much it costs. Some players, it's it, where the harm is done too, John. You might in Florida there have a four-sport athlete who is the best athlete in the state. And by the way, besides football, basketball, and track and field, he also plays tennis. Well, he goes out for the uh, – he goes and plays one – the Florida State closed and he wins the tournament. And then he wins the high school tournament. But then he ends up ranked 12th or 15th or 20th in the state because guess what? He didn't play all the other tournaments. So once again, it's nonsense. He's the best player or she's the best player. So the point is we're doing so many things like this that just are really, I hate to say they're absurd, but they're just not thought through. Most of these decisions are made by administrators and players who, people who, who don't, understand the whole essence of the sport of tennis. I, I sat through a meeting in, in South Carolina, and, and I remember the lady just going on and on about the rules, about, hey, you can't play with your players in the summertime, and guess what? You can't bring your play. You can't get more practices in. John, our sports have been dumbed down so badly. Could you imagine in a music department at a high school, you telling a band member, no, you're not allowed to practice the French horn during the months of uh, March, April, May, and June. You can only practice them these months during the year. Oh, by the way, you're a science, you love science, but we're not going to let you into science lab during these hours of the day. You're only allowed to work on science 10 hours a week. As absurd as this sounds, what What is the difference in the way we're treating our high school athletes and our college athletes? Everyone is so afraid that kids are going to get taken advantage of. But in the meantime, what we have done is we've dumbed down the sport. So the, the situation at Kalamazoo is really horrible. Kalamazoo used to be the top player, top tournament in the country, which it still is. But the backdrop at Kalamazoo was the second best tournament. So people are bailing out. Well, I just met a uh, – one of my friends just moved to a this state outside of, of South Carolina. In South Carolina, we have very competitive baseball. And they just moved to a, you know, a Midwestern state. I'm not going to say which one. But they just moved to a state where he said, you know, when I came here, the facilities look great people look great and everything but what i realized very quickly was that no one is pushing the kids for excellence no one is pursuing excellence i said well what are they doing he says well look at these facilities we have these facilities are phenomenal but everyone is playing hard enough and practicing just hard enough to save face i said well why why do you think this is happening he made a very very um good uh, observation he said you know I th- he thinks I think that money is being made off of our sports whether it's hotel rooms or whether it's instruction and the kids are treated more like clients than they are as students who should be pushed 
for their excellence. John, I wanted to give you an example at our National Spelling Bee about two months ago. Do you remember? I think they named nine winners. Are, are you kidding me? Nine winners. They went through all the words, and they said, oh, we went through an extra five or ten rounds, and we couldn't stump any of these kids, so they're, we have nine winners. Well, when you champion the weak, you weaken our real champions. There's nothing honorable about being one of nine winners. There's nothing honorable about being the state champion of the single A class when there are six different classes. You're not the state champion. You're not the state champion when there are six state champions. You're not the valedictorian when there's seven valedictorians or eight or 12 or 15 valedictorians. So are, we've lost We've lost our – it's obvious to see that we, we've lost our competitive edge with kids. But whether this is a participation trophy mentality or what, it's bled over into tennis to the place where we really and truly are not pursuing excellence. We are not trying to get kids to be champions or to to seek out greatness. I I don't know where you find it anymore. I wrote down some things here. Um, You know, my daughter's in ballet. I think the problem, Coach, is that it's become part of our society and we don't have enough people willing to fight for it. And in this issue of Florida Tennis Magazine, my article is uh, Tennis Losing Value in in the Education System. And my point is, and I'm actually going to share with not everybody, but I get a lot of people about picking on the USTA and picking on uh, schools. I love school. I think education is important. But we've lost sight by you know, you use the term gumming down, and I agree. And I think about, you know, it goes through, through life. I, I Being from another generation, when I was a basketball player, I always looked at basketball, and I, uh, Doc Rivers, who I, being from, uh, you know, Connecticut and playing in New York, was a special person to me. But he used to say that average players want to be left alone. Good players want to be coached. Great players want to be told the truth. And I don't think, you know, as coaches sometimes, and I, and I know it's, hard, it's easier for me when I'm not making a living in this industry no more to be this way. Uh, that I understand that, and you could beat me up for that. But if we don't want to lose it, if we want tennis to become like our education system, we we have to speak up. Go ahead, Coach. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Well, but we I do. Just... We do. And John, John, you brought up some points that are that need to be talked about. I don't think that the people out there listening disagree with us very much. Please call John in on in to John if you disagree. I did talk to a lady the other day, and we were talking about participation trophies, and she said, well, "Shouldn't the kids who are just hard triers get something? Well, give them a hard trier." award or something you know but but really 90 percent of the people out there are agreeing but here is what's happening i I wanted to point out our real problem last fall it was december i went to a usta south carolina meeting and the usta person there i remember and it was not a malicious statement it wasn't a dictatorial statement it was a kind statement and they were trying to help they said look they said, when you have a great idea about how to promote tennis, if you will just let us know what it is, we'll market it, and then you can go get it done. I said, I said, excuse me, <laughs> ma'am, I think. But, but here is what it should be. It should be, no, you've got that backwards. What you do is you get an idea, you go out and you make it work, then you market it. Because what, otherwise we're marketing like the red, orange, green thing, it's what a disaster. You don't hear them talking about that. That is the biggest embarrassment. It was a good teaching tool. That's it. A great, a great teaching tool. But once they started mandating kids to play it and everything, 
They lost all their credibility. They lost all their successes. In the whole state of South Carolina, this was two years ago, the, the guy got up there and said, we only have 41 kids signed up for green ball tennis. 41 in the whole state. And, and so the point is we're losing all of our credibility by trying to spoon feed and make things easy. Easy to pick up becomes easy to put down. We have 390,000 kids signed up for high school tennis. Only 26,000 play tournaments. That's 7%, 7 out of 100. So we're doing something very, very wrong, and we need to stand up and, and do something about it. So the marketing is I, – I, I blame the marketeers. I blame the our educators. Our educators have abdicated their control to the marketing people. USTA, your mistake has been that you've hired these Madison Avenue marketing people. You've hired these sports science marketing people where they have to make their living and they make they have their relevance based on the entertainment dollar. Well, educators don't care about they understand that the entertainment dollar is not what drives everything. It is basically the the inspiration that a young person gets through the education model, through working for mastery. No one stays in something for popularity or just to listen to the applause. They stay in it for the mastery of the whole thing. So I blame the marketers first. I blame our leaders for not really opening up the gates and allowing excellence to be pursued. The lead, our leaders are listening to too many people say, oh, they practice so hard. They're so hard on their kids. They're just pushing their kids too hard. So they say, let's dumb down, dumb down, and be on the safe side. And in the end, you have a rec model sport. I've fought about over the abbreviated scoring system now, John, for about eight years. And the basic thing is, if you want to use abbreviated scoring, use it for a rec model. Don't use it for championship play. If you want high school tennis to be something valuable and something that people go after, in college tennis, something that, once again, is a, is a valuable tool for our United States American kids, make it something that they can go after. Don't tell them they can't practice hard because – especially when we're having to compete with so many international players coming over. Our kids have to compete for scholarships against the whole world now. The international players have played professional tennis for two, three, four, and five years. And when they've played professional tennis and they put them up against a local kid from Kokomo, Indiana, or Cleveland, Cleveland, Tennessee, or something, well, don't tell that kid from Kokomo or Cleveland, Tennessee that you can't work hard and outwork that guy. Just say, you know, it's it's just awful that we're making these decisions because we're erring erring on such such a, a safety side. So what do we do? What do we do? Solutions. The solutions. There's a couple. I think first number one. Let's get the marketeers out of there. Let's get the marketing people out of tennis. It's going to be a tough one, as I, as you know, and I've brought up before on this program, that the ITF, or the Inter- International Tennis Federation, accepted $70 million from the gambling industries, and a deal runs out in 2021, I think, 21-20. But they accepted $70 million for live stream scoring. For li- They've sold the live stream scoring are the small professional events where there are now over 60,000 tournaments, small tournaments on the ATP and the small tournaments. Now, these were these are entry-level events where kids from college used to go play. These are entry-level events now. Are they so highly exposed to the gambling? And, and the point being the ITF has already sold their soul. They've made a deal with the devil to – to do this, and in doing so, they're sort of they're 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 now they're cutting off the whole supply of of you know the, of of everything that is good and legitimate, and and it's just awful. But the marketing people 
they're marketing like crazy to try to make tennis work. They're they're doing all these different gimmicks. To, and what's the last? The net generation. Well, that's going to be a bomb too. I mean, that's nice. Somebody came up in theory, but that's going to be a bomb. So let's get the marketers out of there and the USTA go back to education before entertainment. Then let's also, I think what we need to do really is, I hate to categorize anything, but you know how we have ratings for, um, you know, restaurants, hotels, all that one star to five stars and all that thing. You know, players, now we have the UTR and players are out trying to improve their UTRs. Well, I mean, really, we maybe we ought to the tournaments that people have, uh, high school match, uh, Kokomo Central versus Muncie Central in Indiana. Uh, what kind of an event did that turn out to be? Well, maybe that was a three-star event. Okay, parent looks at that. Hey, wait a minute, the high school is a three-star deal. I don't know. I'm, I'm just looking. Maybe we need more accountability for the levels that high school teams have and play. Um, You know, I I just keep thinking about high school tennis, what it could be, what it means to kids. Um, You know, we have to, we have to be able to have some type of um, accountability to playing with championship rules, not, not dumbing down the scoring system, allowing coaches to work, uh, allowing coaches, administrators, you've got to allow your coaches to do the work they need to do with kids, especially in an individual sport like tennis. Tennis and golf, I'd say wrestling, these are all individual sports. You've got to allow your coaches to work with their kids. Otherwise, it, it really has no value value at all. So, John, real quickly, I just uh, I know we're winding down time, but I was thinking about other rec sport versus uh, versus real sport. Think about the running, the runners. Okay, jogging, jogging became a big fad in the United States there, and then all of a sudden they allowed everybody to get in these 10Ks, 10K runners. Well, when there was money involved, you'd have the Kenyans come in and run, and real runners would get in. But you know, really. That's that's an activity where it's marked by a stopwatch, and uh, it's not a head-to-head sport. So really, all of the excellence is measured by a stopwatch. The same thing with swimming. My daughters and my my son and daughters all have done wreck swimming in the summer times, and it was good for an introductory thing. But then when swimming got real tough, there was a breakdown. And my daughter automatically knew, hey, if I want to be a real swimmer, I've got to get my times to this level. So running is, running and swimming are marked that way. But I, I thought of the different things, uh, this pickleball craze. My golly. <laughs> I played it the other day for the – hey, John, for the first time, and sorry about you pickleball guys out there, but it's the easiest racket sport that I've ever played in my life. My three kids who have never played before and my wife played for the first time and we were all pretty good. And it was, there was no way to differentiate really excellence between the players. It's a good, it's a good activity. Tennis is a sport. Tennis is a sport. The band is an activity. Orchestra is the real deal. Uh, My, my daughters, I remember, they used to do Irish dancing and then it got really expensive. They wanted them to buy costumes. They wanted them to start traveling. I said, well, in the end, they just got this Irish dancing stuff. And I don't like the fact that everybody picks it up so quick. So my daughter went to do ballet and she'll do, she wants to do ballet to her heart's content. I don't care if she's never on Broadway or not, but she's pursuing excellence. So, you get my drift here, John, with what I'm talking about, the difference between the rhinestones out there and the real diamonds that that are out there. Oh, gosh. Also, folks out there, if you want to watch a really a good documentary, last night I visited Niagara Falls actually, actually yesterday, and they had a big statue of Tesla, Nikola, Nikola Tesla up yep. there. And I, so I watched the documentary yeah. last night on him. 
and you know the pretender contender, the contender and all everybody most people don't know this was Tesla. Tesla was yeah. the guy that was the brilliant guy that didn't care. He is working for mastery, but but oh my gosh, Thomas Edison looked like looked like a bum. If you look if you look up the, I, I hate to say a bum, but he basically tried to smear Tesla the whole time. They fought between the alternating currents and direct currents that Edison had made direct currents. But go to YouTube and watch that, folks. But I was thinking, what a contender that guy. Westinghouse also helped Tesla at first, but in the end, he was just he used every one of Tesla's patents and ideas to make himself popular and famous. You know, it's really interesting. You know, through history, you get all these people, some pretenders, some contenders. But tennis is a contender sport, folks. After tennis is a contender sport. It's a diamond. It is not a rhinestone. It should not be cheapened. The more you dumb it down, the, problem, coach, the dumber we are. The problem, are. coach, you, you know, were at Niagara Falls, and I got excited about that, too, because I've been there numerous, numerous times. Uh, but, you know, marketers, when I took marketing courses in another lifetime, there was, you know, they used that example that uh, Tesla's failure was because they didn't know how to market it and that they were the one that took Einstein and marketed them right and part of it with the electric chair and everything. And uh, But uh, so I think we, you know, marketers have a value, but I think the problem is everybody that has control of a while, they lose sight of things. I think power goes to our head. Sometimes we have to be careful of it. And now we no longer include the expertise of the people that live the sport, the coaches that live this and develop programs. Somehow we've got to be able to sit there and uh, and talk together. And this well, is what I like about the show. My failure, my biggest failure is I've invited the USTA. I invite people I said, you know, we we could bring on multiple people, and I could break up the time. We'll give everybody an equal amount of time to discuss the pros and cons. But the response I get is only from one side. I have coaches that include me, put me in, put me in, put me in. I haven't heard it from the administrative or the marketing side, anybody yet that said, you know, yes, I'll, I'll be in on that too. I want to talk much more about this in my programs as we go forward. And I think that all of you coaches out there listening, look, we have a duty. We have a duty to God, our schools, our youngsters, our families, that when we took an oath to be a great, the best teacher we could be, and when we took up this profession of coaching and teaching, we have a duty to push kids to their maximum limit to pursue excellence and to pursue their greatness and teach them, even if they don't know how, to go after greatness and excellence. Once they do, John, once they do, they're never going to want anything else. When I, I'd just like to make one, one observation. When everybody started dumbing things down, I said, wow, this is going to be low-hanging fruit. If we just work harder than anybody else, we're going to win there's not going to be much competition, but the problem is our administrators keep lowering the bar. When they lower right. the bar and start champion the weak, you weaken the real champions. The the participation trophy mentality becomes paramount. But I'm going to leave it with this today, and I think you're about out of time here, John. Maybe, but but yeah. you have a few more questions. I'm ready. But again, this is the most profound words I've ever heard. Is that my mother used to say, like, don't take any wood nickels, son. And she said, you know, God expects your best, son. But here's the best statement ever. The best statement ever. The world promises you buckets of rhinestones, but God gives you the chance to make one diamond with your life. And with that, with that, that is so profound. That is our duty, is to help our youngsters pursue excellence and try to make a diamond of their life. And it doesn't just mean to be win every tournament, be rich and famous. It means to perfect 
what God has given them to start out with. And diamonds are made through pressure. Diamonds are made through time. Diamonds are made through a lot of failure, a lot of setbacks, a lot of learning. But all of those things go into becoming all that we, we, we our, our duty is to be all we can be with all that we have been given. And, and, and that, that's, that's our job. That's our job. So anyhow, that's a very profound statement. I'll never forget that statement my entire life. My job, our, all of our jobs are do that. So uh, right. thanks for keeping the show rolling. And, and by show making rolling things together. easier for people, we don't let them reach what God meant us to be. And uh, I would like to just say before I go, and I ended my um, article for the Tennis Magazine, reminded that Aristotle reminded us that we become brave by doing brave acts. It's time that tennis coaches join those teachers who want our profession to stand up and fight the bureaucracy, which is limiting the education and, I believe, limiting the tennis journey. So that's why we're going to have next week, I just want to say before I have Chuck close out the program, uh, I shouldn't say that, I'm sorry, uh, not next week, Alan Fox will be on in a couple of weeks because I'm only doing one show a month now until uh, probably until October because right after Alan Fox, we're going to be heading north where uh, Chuck is now, um, and we're going to be up there for a while. But um, almighty willing, in uh, October, we'll start doing our weekly broadcasts again. But Alan Fox will join us, uh, I think, in two weeks. I will put it up to let you know the uh, date and everything. But I suggest you tune in on Wednesdays to uh, Chuck Reese's broadcast. Thanks. Um, Thanks. Watch our <laughs> Thanks commentaries. And uh, then, uh, you know, then you've got to make your own view. But if we're, you know, we, we, we well, Coach, go ahead. I've got two minutes left. So no, John, John, I, I don't want to take you. any of your time. I just look. I in in my programs every Wednesday at at noon. Uh, uh, American tennis, and um, I am working very hard to get some guests on that have different points of view. Uh, I I might actually had I had a mother. Uh, uh, that I talked to recently, she was all for participation trophies. And I told her, you know, there's good goods, good bads, bad goods, and bad bads. I said, a good good is do all the right things, work hard, and you accomplish something. A good bad is you do all the right things, you work hard, and you fall short. But the bad good, a bad good is a participation trophy. That bad good is not something that youngsters will ever grow from bad goods will turn into bad bads but her she was so adamant and she was in tears she just said the hard trier the hard trier should be rewarded as well so these are what we're we're going to be going after trying to talk about that, that sort of thing on my program and John thanks also my book is still out there coaching tennis folks I got to sell them I've got three more kids to put through college <laughs> And look for coaching tennis online, and we're trying to get it digitalized. Now it's it's been it's been out about twenty years, and and we're still doing quite year quite well with it. But uh, anyhow, John, just I can't thank you enough for for having me on the program again, and and then thanks for anybody tuning in to uh, American Tennis. It's a good program now in our eighth year already, if you can believe that one. You got to be doing something right, then, right, Chuck? Uh, I appreciate. I'd like to thank you for uh, giving your time. I I had some comments uh, a while ago. I think I addressed them, but uh, some people said, "Why did you call these people mentors? They sound like they're all friends." Well, I think a good mentor. Well, we well are. my philosophy we is are. coaching. You have to love the people in order to be a good coach. But that's my personal philosophy. But I think to be a good mentor. You've got to develop a friendship because a mentor is going to help you, and then eventually you'll reach another stage, which I'll let Chuck talk about on his broadcast. But remember, uh, Alan Fox will be joining us 
uh, in uh, two weeks. It'll actually be uh, on the uh, 5th of uh, September, and that'll be our September broadcast. Have a blessed uh, weekend. Uh, enjoy yourself. Uh, Del Medi Willen will be talking soon. Bye bye.